Hey everyone, this is the first episode of the Paleotomism Roundtable. Tonight we got a narco Catholic. He's returning. And we got Bo oh, I got hold on, give it time. Bowl Bowl Carves Behemoth. Did I get that right? Uh yeah, good enough. enough. Close enough, I think. Close enough. That's good enough. Okay. Um how you guys doing? Can't complain. How are you, Caleb? I'm doing good. <laughs> doing great. So let's, let's get into this. Um, what paleotomism is going to be, as we really don't know, but um, this is—I <laughs> I saw there was too many awesome Catholic libertarian right wing, kind of this whole post libertarian moment writers who were like kind of a mix of everything, and it's like there's too many of us right now to not be together under one roof. And I love the Christian Libertarian Institute. I go to a lot. They are very reformed in their theology and everything they do. And I wanted something out there for a little bit less reformed, more traditional. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got some guys together. The name is temporary. We might go paleotomism because we're both, that's a right wing thing. We might go Austriotomism because the Austrian libertarian thing. Don't know what we're going to call it yet, but as it stands, paleotomism. Let's start with you, Einkast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your libertarian intellectual origin story? <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess on the on the libertarian end, probably really got started in right around the the twenty twelve uh, presidential campaign. Um, was sort of aware of some libertarian thought before them, but um, really at that point didn't have much of a home politically. Had grown up fairly conservative, conservative household, conservative you know state. Um, and then sort of got, you know, fell into the whole Ron Paul movement, started reading, um, and, and didn't really stop. So we went from, from Ron Paul to Lou Rockwell, uh, Von Mises, Rothbard, um, and then just on and on and on in that vein. Um, and then that sort of, uh, fortuitously the, at the same time sort of dovetailed with starting to learn more about Thomism, starting to understand the Catholic faith a little better. And then I think, like you said, there's there's such a good community now that's sort of grown up. But, you know, how do we, you know, I, I, my idea has always been how do we sort of integrate these ideas? Because I think that it's always seemed like there's such a such a natural unity between those. And it's I'm really excited for the opportunity to sort of dig into 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 fleshing out what that what that will mean and what, what kind of content we can produce. Absolutely. Belkov, what about you? How, what's your intellectual origin story? Uh I am well. I don't actually have a, a story of like, let's say, political. Uh, you know, noticing things politically, at least not much, because I'm not North American. I'm actually Brazilian. We don't really have a candidate like Ron Paul, or at least we didn't growing up. Not that I noticed. Uh, back here in my home country. So it was. Brazil is a very bureaucratic country. If you've ever been here, you know this. And I've always unconsciously think well. And my, both my parents being young entrepreneurs, at least, well, not young nowadays, but started out very young and relatively poor. I always sort of knew how the state intervenes in them and like, well, it probably shouldn't work this way. So I was always unconsciously a classical liberal. At one point, I remember reading John Locke, finding him sort of boring but correct uh, when I was yeah. around 14. <laughs> and eventually, because my first love was literature, I read Aubert Camus. I, I read L'Etranger, The Stranger loved it and decided to read his more philosophical works uh, that set me in a certain trajectory of reading existentialism and then reading more political philosophy. Eventually I, I sort of 
wanted to read more exact moral philosophy because if you read the existentialists there's sort of play very loose with uh where is the locus of ethics in man and where it is and how to derive and how to get at truths. Uh, and this was about the same time that I started enjoying more formal and symbolic logic. So I thought it was only natural. So I started reading people like Peter Geach and Henry Veach and Murray Rothbard. Uh, Murray Rothbard, I heard of a great commendation from a friend who, was an AN, who is an ANCAP. Uh, he sort of just recommended these people to me because I was thinking of studying economics uh, and eventually I got where I am today by reading those people and reading more and more. Uh, I, I think I only got through Ayn Rand last year, but I quite enjoyed her as well. She was very, very interesting and very, and I quite like her exposition of virtue ethics, especially. Yeah. Ayn Rand's a weird one. There's, um, do you, you, you guys know who uh, Trent Horn is? He's a uh, Catholic apologetic. Anybody know who he is? That name is familiar, but I don't remember reading anything from him. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Cass, how about you? No, I can't say I'm pretty familiar with him now. Well, he's a really, really good Catholic apologist. Uh, probably the best living uh, debater in the Catholic area, in the Catholic like, school of people. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually might be coming on a podcast this year, which is exciting. Hmm. Um, but he uh, had a quote, because he wrote a, he wrote a book called uh, Can a Catholic Be a Socialist? Sort of answer no, <laughs> um, and he had a, uh, a line in the a line in the book a line about Ayn Rand um, is that Ayn Rand said um, the virtue selflessness you know you have to love yourself before you can love other people mm-hmm. and Jesus said well love thyself as you love thy neighbor uh, your neighbor as thyself which means you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor and so see reads the truth that Jesus proclaimed through reason alone. And in fact, I heard someone who was Catholic actually defend a point from Rand and say it was good. It was like oh this guy. He's not just um, a staple apologist who's going to quote what the catechism says independent regardless of what it says. He's an mm-hmm. actual intellect. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? Um, intellect, no. Put on a blank. Um, intellectual. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go to the website. I want to kind of do a little tour of how the website works, what it looks like, the team kind of saying, say a stream. Uh, can y'all read that? Is that clear? Yeah, okay. Let me zoom in a little bit more here. Okay. Welcome to paleotomism. Paleotomism, the intersection of three strong traditions: paleoconservatism, paleolibertarian, and, and scholasticism. Everyone, everyone goes there. This is all granted. The only, well, it's only been up for like a day. So anything on here can change. If you have any disagreements about mm-hmm. how things are phrased, that's, this is a group effort. So let's try to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the team here, paleotomism. Uh, due to the current climate increase in cancer culture, many of us here at paleotomism have decided to remain anonymous. Okay, LeBron, founder of paleotomism. I, I didn't I need a title, and I'm like, this is my idea. I'm going to steal that. Mm-hmm. Um, Caleb was a convert to Catholicism, coming from Pentecostal background. After reading some acquaintance, he knew he had to become Catholic. Along the way, he discovered Murray Rothbard became anarchist. Though he no longer identifies as one, he respects the libertarian anarchist tradition. I'm Cass. Well, you know to read yours? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I'm Kath, physicist by training, philosopher and anarchist by passion, um, husband and father of very soon to be two. My, uh, there, was some, there was some debate about whether I'd make it here today or not because my wife is due <laughs> imminently, but fortunately, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're holding on for a couple more days. So uh, our, our second son is, is kind enough to wait for the, the podcast before he decides to show up. Uh-huh. What a gentleman. <laughs> yeah. We got... Uh, 
If anyone, anyone <laughs> wants to take a, 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 a start up announcing it, I'll let you take the first start. Uh, you're, I guess, I guess. I don't know. I'll be honest. Like, what is the, what's the, what's the, I want it's like the spelling bee. What's the, what's the language of origin? Can you use it in a sentence? I, I, I was <laughs> yeah. like, and this is just no. my ignorance, but what is this? Like, what, what language is this from? Apparently, this is a Italian Zinwal. I, I think. I read a Italian? little bit. Italian? That's it. Wow. I, I, maybe not Italian. No, what? Hold on. Let's click this. Yeah, we have the internet. We can figure this out. Yeah, yeah we got a Substack. Let's just um, uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, publicly known as Scanburg was one of the most successful military leaders in the medieval Europe, leading an army of hundred of ten thousand um, Albanian swords, about and Greeks against the invading Ottoman Empire. He said, "Okay, so it's Eastern Europe. It's um European. It's, East, it's certainly Eastern Europe. Yeah, it's something." <laughs> He was born in the Principality of Castriotti, which is somewhere. Uh, it's actually, yeah, it's close to Venice. It's close to the Republic of Venice. You might actually be correct. He is, he is indeed Italian. That is not what I would expect from the name no, of an Italian man. The last name looks a little Italian, but I, the first one I would not have guessed that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, Gurgi um, is a contrarian by nature who was wed pill by the 21st anniversary of JFK assassination. Converted to the Austrian School of Economics and Libertarian by Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson and Lou Rockwell, respectively. He is con um, a confirmed student of Hans Hermann Hopper. His political um, in interests include property rights theory in the world of traditional ethnic culture, uh, and cultures and modern civilization, baptized in the nervous ordo. He is a revert to pre Vatican II Catholicism, making the spirits at home in both the Byzantine Rite and the Italo Albanian. Again, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I I'm, suspect the first name is Albanian, then. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a cool dude. I've, I've interrupted him on Twitter multiple times. He is a mm -hmm. really fun dude. He's at his, uh, He's busy tonight, and so he, he might pop in. He might not. But I am looking forward to see what he brings to the table. And then last but not least, we got... No, Bo, you take it, man. <laughs> Bogacast Behemoth. So, I'm a Catholic university student studying both economics and philosophy. I'm instinctively conservative, but drawn to radical thought. I am both a Christian absurdist and a medieval anarchist, a label I am blatantly stealing from Radlib, also known <laughs> as Stephen Carson on Twitter. Nice. Link to the uh, Twitter page for the... That's not the right Twitter page. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and fix progress. that. I've never made a website before, so this is a brand new experience. I, I yeah, we learn as we go. That's yeah. right. And I will say all, all credit and all errors go to Caleb for putting in the, the work on the website. <laughs> so if, if you like anything, uh, thank Caleb. If you hate anything, blame Caleb. That's right. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, here's the first, first page. Uh, the podcast, basically in praxis, the flagship podcast of paleotomism, dedicated for book clubs, Bible studies, and philosophical conversation. And this was a link to the uh, YouTube page. This would be a link to the Spotify. That might be backwards. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't test any of these things out, by the way. We'll test them out eventually. Or uh, people will test them out and complain to us eventually. That's right. One or the other. The Paleotomism Roundtable, the monthly roundtable from here's here, Paleotomism. So I, I, I used a lot of um, Notre Dame. Because if you, if you guys pay attention, if you're here recently, they are going to be rebuilding Notre Dame after the fire. And oh, it's yeah. going to be a monstrosity. Oh. It's going I'm... to be uh, multiple religion inclusive with an uh, emphasis on climate change and environmentalism. Man, I'm hoping those are just rumors because I've been to Notre Dame once and it was oh, very, geez. so beautiful. 
I hope it's this rumors, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. So the point of the uh, is that there is a great history and great tradition in paleo-libertarianism, scholasticism, and paleo-conservatism that are always kind of being wiped away by modern conservatives, modern libertarians, and modern Catholics. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so this is a callback to a greater time, and hopefully we can do something, if only a little, to play a role and make it so it doesn't happen. Then we got Einkast Substack. This is the anarcho-Catholic newsletter about anarchism by the way of Aquinas. Anarcho-Catholic, link to the Substack, uh, typewriter for the photo. And then, same thing from earlier. Oh, all the pictures linked to you guys' Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. So if you want to, people where you go, you can use the website. And then, Gersey Substack. Uh I hope to present in this journal ideas and thoughts regarding my personal observations of the so-called libertarian movement, something the world desperately needs more of, but particularly its fallings and weaknesses. Again, extremely uh, valuable and rare today. The sarcasm is not lost herein. Moreover, I hope to offer <laughs> what I think of the unique approach of looking at the philosophical sense of framework in terms of my own rediscovered spiritual self and follow him on Twitter. Follow this. And there's the website. So, anybody right. listening? Uh, right now, this is the only thing to me on the website is this podcast. It's not currently on deck. I'm receiving from my channel, but this podcast, once it goes down, will be moved to the uh, Paleotomism YouTube page and will only be available on there. Until we get that subscriber count up, we're going to be streaming from here probably and then uploading later today. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm. Uh, thank you, Eric Novak. Never made a website before. Time for a space sponsorship. This one's looking pretty slick. Sleek. Thank you. Uh, Alemo, who the fuck is Eric? I, Eric, um, I don't know. Okay, but so we kind of got him on the table about history. Uh, people listening to this probably know who I am um, because this is my YouTube channel. So with that, I want to ask you, uh, Belkov, mm-hmm. uh, um, you're Catholic, obviously, but mm-hmm. was your family Catholic or did you um, – like Weaver, convert. What's the Catholic story there? Uh, my family is Catholic, uh, or at least uh, what my father did uh, leave Catholicism. Unfortunately, when I think I was about ten years old, actually probably before that, but officially when I was about ten, my fa- my mother is still Catholic to this day. And the rest of my family is Catholic. Uh, unfortunately, my grandparents, both of both families, uh, except my grandmother's, both died before I could meet them, but they were both Catholic as well. Uh, so I was raised in essentially like a, a very standard novice, novice Ordo Vatican II sort of deal. Uh, and I was for, after my father left Catholicism, I, I felt very lost for a while and I was an atheist, not really an atheist, but agnostic, I suppose. Mm. I always thought there was some metaphysical significance to Catholicism, but I wasn't sure what it was for many, many years. It was only, I think five or four years ago that I decided to revert back, uh, and so I'm still trying to find my spiritual footing in a lot of senses. I'm still trying to get the readings done to know what would be the best uh, position on this. But I'm very leaning towards pre-Vatican II uh, Catholicism at the moment. Yeah. Nice. If you don't mind me jumping in a little bit, because I, right. I wanted to ask uh, Bolkov. So um, Brazil's still nominally mostly Catholic. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, I don't uh, know. It's, it's certainly mostly Christian. Very, very Christian. But Catholic at this point, 
There are many, many Catholic churches, but you will, it's much easier to find someone who's sort of evangelical nowadays if you just go around walking in the streets. But really? it is nominally mostly Catholic. Yeah, most of the people I interact with just on the streets daily uh, are usually evangelicals. Uh, they're either evangelicals or Catholics. I don't see any, I, I have not met any Lutherans in Brazil. I will tell you that much, for example. <laughs> I might need to move. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm very curious because there's a, like, for better or for worse, I think this sort of Latin, this sort of Latin American style Catholicism is its own sort of distinct thing in a way because you still yeah. have you, you still have a of like you said a lot of people that are still nominally um, Catholic or evangelical, which uh, mm-hmm. you don't you certainly don't see in Europe anymore, really anywhere. Oh, maybe no. in the East, um, and it certainly looks very different in in the U.S. or in North America. So I'm, I'm very because I think you've got a just culturally a very different approach to the to the faith and think Caleb or I will. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what what. And again, I mean, I don't know if you've if you've been a lot of other places and gotten to see that, but I'm I'm very curious about what Catholicism looks like culturally in a place like Brazil. Yeah, no, I because I have a I have a lot of cousins in the United States. That's why I my English is not terrible, uh, in fact. So, and they visited one some years they visited, other years we visited them, uh, and so I, I have some idea of what Catholicism looks like in the United States. I have a very faint idea of it in Canada because I've stayed there for a few months. And a, a very distant picture from accounts of what it is in Europe, but it certainly feels very different because I don't know. There's it's a there's a certain evangel culture of evangelism uh, or a certain evangelical culture here among Christians, among even sort of Catholics in particular. Um, you, I never really see sectarian infighting, or not. Well, I don't know if it would be called infighting, but fighting between different sects between evangelicals and Catholics. I don't really see it. There's some, uh, there's some Baptists as well, but they never really address each other, which is interesting. On Twitter, that's all I see between the the American Christians, uh, which <laughs> I find sort of funny at this point because <laughs> I have a lot of Protestant followers, and every other tweet from them that I comes across my timeline is dunking on the Roman Pontiff or something like that. Uh, <laughs> So a uh, lot of love for them, but it's it's sort of funny <laughs> to me. Uh, you don't really get that from. Uh, in fact, we're sort of from the evangelicals I talk to. They for sort of a very deep respect for the Pope. It's just that they don't really take him as a. It's almost a, they almost take him as a pontiff of sorts. Uh, but let's just say that most of the Christians in my country aren't exactly reading theology books. Mm. Uh, I'll put it like that. They they go to their church. They have their uh, they do mass. They are very uh, what's the word? Very faithful. But they're not exactly reading Aquinas and trying to debate the, the different merits of uh, Calvinism versus Lutheranism versus Catholicism. Mm. Mm. That interesting point though. It's like there's one thing I know in the Orthodox Church because I have a lot of friends who are Orthodox. I have more friends who are Orthodox than are Catholic. Um, they, it's very um, what's the word? Scott Hahn described it this way. It was um, ethnic. It's like mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's Greek, there's Russian, there's Eastern. It's, it's very ethnic instead of universal. And you would mm-hmm. go there, and you're never gonna because of the ethnic differences, you're never gonna fully feel attacked. And yeah, Thoughtson doesn't have that in the same extent. Minus the split really between the Latin style and the, and the uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say European Western and the Anglo the Anglo Catholic pretty much Anglo versus Latin Catholic. 
funnily enough, the one time I experienced the two two observations actually. Right? But one time I experienced a, a something approximating this in Catholicism was when uh, I was in Canada for a few months, and my uh, Chinese Canadian friend invited me to a church, and I was the only non Chinese there essentially, mm. which was which was an interesting experience. Uh, but very very pleasant. They were very warm to me. Uh, and the second thing is, I know no orthodoxes in Brazil. I have never met one here, uh, which is very interesting, actually. That's probably one of the ways that our experience is different. I, I, I basically no idea what orthodoxes, what orthodoxy is from day to day. I have no personal interactions. I literally just have book learning on it. Mm. That's it. I'm curious, you want to add? Oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm curious, Kev, because I don't like personally, I'm not sure if I know anyone in my vicinity that's orthodox. Is this mostly online? Because, like you said, it, it seems to be very, I think, regional or, or mm -hmm. ethnic. So I don't, I'm, so, I'm surprised that there's a, a much orthodox, much of the orthodox uh, church outside of those countries where they're where they're dominant are these are these people that you know that are so, in these places? Or I know uh, in... most of them online, but it was an Eastern Orthodox in my, um, not my city, but my next city, near, near the city where I live. Uh, I always thought it was a Jewish building, actually, because I didn't know anything. Do I, do I, do I find out what the Orthodox was? I went and said, like, oh, that's... It's that's, a synagogue, that's, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> it has the dome yeah. building, you know? I saw the dome. I assumed it was something else. Um, it's honestly a hilarious building because it has the Eastern Orthodox, like that dome thing, which is a cross and the three, three things on it. But that's just attached to a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's the most Florida thing I've ever seen. Uh, good people. Good people, but mm -hmm. I, know, I know a lot online. I have my um, there are a lot of people doing the Orthodox Church. I think it's a lot of people went for this, but they don't want the baggage that comes with Catholicism. And there's something there's something um exotic about a Eastern style of religion. So you kind of mm -hmm. get the, the um oh it's exotic, you know, like oh you ever been to Milan? It's that mixed with no baggage, mixed with tradition. Mm -hmm. So it's I'm happy people are going to something that's not Protestantism. Um, I think that's <laughs> not great, but I wish it was. I wish they, I wish we could answer the baggage. They, I think they all answer to all the, the uh, complaints about the baggage of Catholicism, but it's no one wants to listen to it. You know, I, I mean, I get comments almost every other day about, oh, you guys are pedophiles. And it's like, I, <laughs> I could argue for 15 days about why public schools have more pedophilia, but I'm not going to because it doesn't matter. You don't. Yeah. Care. It, yeah, I just I, can, I ignore I completely ignore those comments at this point. I don't think I'm yeah. actually I don't think there was ever a point where I didn't ignore them, but <laughs> it's just very tiring seeing them. Like, okay, next, what you got? Well, that's I, the best. Go ahead, Caleb. I was I argued it more when I was Protestant and not Catholic because mm. I was when I was Protestant and I could defend it. I wasn't defending my own church until it actually opened the they were open to the arguments I was making. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm part of the church, I'm part of the in group. They don't see anything outside of defending mm. the church instead of uh, making an argument. And so I've lost. I can't make. The, I can't do it the way I used to. Um, I suspect Caleb probably has a, a sort of similar situation because I know we're, we're regionally sort of close in the the southeastern United States. Um, and there's you know there, it's it's pro like you know it's the you know, they talk about the Bible Belt and the that there's just it's very Protestant down here. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned the you know people either when, whenever the, those arguments that you're seeing online will come that don't apparently happen in Brazil very often, but I hear plenty of locally here, and it, it's it's so funny because I think mm -hmm. I see this very clear connection between um, sort of uh, libertarian apologetics and Catholic <laughs> apologetics that you that. It, 
you could talk to 20 different people and they will give you the exact same, almost verbatim five things yeah. that here's what's wrong with what you think. Here's like, who's going to mm -hmm. build the roads? Why oh, do you yeah. worship yeah. Mary? Why? And, it, and it's just like, <laughs> it's just, have you, do some reading. Like everyone has asked this question and it's been answered a hundred times. And it's always just shocking to me. They're like, oh yeah, this is exactly the question that, that I'm sort of been trained to answer 30 times. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. If you, it sort of feels like a, <laughs> this like scholastic disputations. Like they would essentially have, these arguments that sometimes would be the same arguments. So they just write them down in like a dialogue form. And this <laughs> happened not only in Europe, but like, I believe like if you, this is actually very funny. If you read the disputes between the Buddhists and the Hindus, they did exactly this. They'd essentially memorize each other's arguments and have the counter argument memorized as well. And those are a lot of the <laughs> Buddhist and Hindu texts. And it's so funny. That's <laughs> interesting. <laughs> that can be very fun to write a, a, um, a Catholic libertarian dialogue. Where it's it's just um playthroughs of all the arguments of you're gonna hear from both sides. And it's just like, hey, here's a here's a primer, pretty much what you're gonna hear mm -hmm. for the rest of your life if you if you stay with the school of thought. Seems like it should be a Tom Woods ebook. <laughs> Come on, Tom. We're waiting. <laughs> yeah. Your your friends are wrong, period. That's just what <laughs> your going friends are wrong. <laughs> period. <laughs> your Lutheran friends are wrong, and here's why. <laughs> uh, I I got into uh, some loosens a while ago because I said um, uh, the removing marriage to the sacrament was the first domino when the devaluing of marriage and uh, led, to, <sighs> led to the devaluing of everything we have now. Uh -huh. And they all argued with me. It's like, well, because the marriage is in a sacrament and, and they would agree with me that it's bad that it was devalued, but they wouldn't like, they would make the argument like, no, it was right to devalue it, but it was it's wrong where we're at now. I'm like, you, you could, I explained like, you could say, I assume it was right to do, but also accept responsibility. You kind of kickstarted this entire sexual revolution. Like you were the first domino in everything where we are now. You were the reason that we have OnlyFans. <laughs> Luther created OnlyFans. That's my new tweet. I'm gonna put it out right now, actually. Yeah, for Lutheran apologetics, we now have to contend with the accusation of online pornography <laughs> being their fault. I, I much love to my Lutheran mutuals, by the way. I, I hold no ill will towards any of you. <laughs> wouldn't. Let me put that. Wouldn't. Um, hold on. I'll, I'll add in as well. I know, uh, Bogokov, you were saying that in, in Brazil, there's, there's not a lot of this sort of you don't see a lot of this sort of the same conflict or, or antagonism between the different uh, between the different faiths. Um, but also that the the evangelicals down there, there's not a lot of a lot of it's not a particularly deep faith. There's not a lot of deep reading or deep understanding. And I, I think that's that's one of the things that I do really appreciate about Protestantism um, in the States mm -hmm. is that they are they are very active in trying to deepen their faith and trying to understand mm -hmm. their faith and trying to trying to develop what it is that they believe and why. Um, yeah. And I think ultimately that's the path that leads to Catholicism if they end up going deep enough yes, that they yes. admit it to themselves. <laughs> what's, that, uh, what's that Newman quote? Um, the received in history that cease to be Protestant? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I will say that it is a very sincere faith. There is no uh, multiplicity or, or you know, hiding behind a mask on it. But it's not just for social pressure. They genuinely believe it. But, you know, for just you're going to believe whatever your local pastor or priest tells you. And that's sort of the way you were raised. That's how things are. Life is hard. There are other things to worry about. Uh, God will protect and God will provide them. So let me worry about this, and my priest will worry about my spiritual life for me, essentially. 
I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a, on a mini rant here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I've I've got Ayn Rand as my uh, you know the Catholic Ayn Rand, um, the, the, <laughs> the, the posthumous Ayn Rand, as I like to say. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I thought was re- that she did really well, her critique of religion, I think, really gets at the heart of what you were just mentioning, Bulgakov, is is this, mm-hmm. this sort of this blind faith. Yes, that that really is this sort of just this naked superstition in a sense. And and without the the deeper understanding that the that you know most Catholics don't realize the, that the faith has, but that that is there that you have to you have to ground mm-hmm. these things in reason. That that I think her her critique of all these other religions is spot on. She is you know she didn't appreciate the the reason that's that's the building block of of the Catholic faith. But I, but mm-hmm. the fact that she, I think she did a, an excellent job of sort of of critiquing exactly that kind of oh, yeah. like you said very very. Um, honest and and legitimate faith but one that is that is missing some critical aspect mm-hmm. of our of our human capacity for reason yeah she was she had very she had a lot of psychological penetration which she had to have to be as good a writer as she was so i quite enjoy that about her uh i've also noticed that both of our profile pictures are or at least were atheists during their lifetimes <laughs> so i fi- i find <laughs> i find that funny but <laughs> just an aside there and, uh, I'll probably take it a little bit too seriously, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it points to something about about um, one Christian and more particularly Catholic thinking in the last century that it's really hard to to because I mean there's obviously a, a wonderful tradition of very deep intellectual thought and some good mm-hmm. Thomas today, and there possibly necessarily, but there's such a disconnect from a lot of modern thinking that it's be, because society and culture and intellectual thought has sort of diverged so badly from the scholastics per se. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to get a lot of really good, deep philosophical thinking yeah. from, from that's, that's grounded in that tradition that has any connection to the modern world because, mm-hmm. the, because the, the, the divergence is so far back now that to, to really appreciate the scholastics or Thomism and to understand anything that, you know, has come philosophically or, or, you know, something like Austrian economics, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's plenty of good Thomas who, who have, can't even have that as part of their worldview because it's sort of after the divide as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted um, to talk about this actually during a podcast was the importance of economics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very much so. And, you know, Camus is actually one of the reasons that I, I converted back to Catholicism after being an apostate for a few years, because he was, he's very friendly with, He's relatively friendly to the Christians compared to every other 20th century existentialist French writer, essentially, (laughs) because he says, all right, yeah, okay, the Christians do make a leap of faith, but their leap of faith is a lot more plausible than the atheist leap of faith, so I prefer their writers. And so in the myth of Sisyphus, he has a section where he sort of critiques the Christian existentialists, and then he says, don't take this to mean that I don't like them or think that they're necessarily wrong. In fact, I much prefer them over their atheist counterparts, who are far <laughs> more disgusting and vehement in their own proclamations, which I, which I found very, which touched me very deeply when I was reading it as I think a 16 year old or something. Okay, um, now, one point I want to talk about is like, there was a lot of great. Philo- um, you guys know Pinterest, Pinterest Aquinas is Matt Frad. He's a uh, Catholic podcaster. Anybody know who he is? Say the name again. Pines, uh, Matt Frad from. Oh Pines yes, I do. Aquinas. I do. I do. I've okay. only watched a few, but uh, yes, I do. He's a pretty good podcast. I enjoy it. Um, he's had on several people to talk about capitalism and economics because he's like a conservative guy. 
but they bring on these people where they talk economics. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you might as well be a mathematician. And it's like, they, it's, uh, and it's really sad because, like, you read this, like, I'm reading uh, right now, uh, Mary Rothbard's History of Economics Sars, and he kind of read, mm-hmm. like, the, the scholastic economics. They're like, they knew what they were talking about in a sense. Why don't modern Thomists, like, it wouldn't even have to be a, a much of a saying to this bill. This is what they believed then. And we've evolved to now, oh, this school got it right too. Let's just continue there. It wouldn't be a big leap, you know, but the, they, they are stuck in uh, their Thomas ways, which is its benefits because most new philosophy is not that great, but they don't know how to properly, I think, engage with the anything after Aquinas or after the scholastic period. Yeah, and it's such a, a tragedy because that was one of the things, like I said, they sort of happened more or less in parallel in my in the evolution of my thought. But looking at the the clarity of thought and the principled reasoning of St. Thomas in the Scholastic period, and then looking at human action, for example, or how do you right. develop a, an economics? You, right there. you pointed out to us back there. Right there. Human action, Aristotle, and Aquinas. Right there. <laughs> That's my book sale. Those are the people to read. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Then, then, there's certainly like, I, I, I think, again, because they're a product of, of modern culture, you know, even von Mises skips some steps, but he understands, okay, I, I need to start from something axiomatic, something that I know that is, you know, just like Aristotle, like, you know, okay, how do we know what are the first things we know? And then, okay, what are the first things we know about economics? What are the first things we know about human action? And then building from there. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's such a, it's such a natural, I mean, that's, that's the only way you can really learn anything. And if you if you look at that economics compared to anything else that the 20th century produced, that's very equation driven and very mathematical. And okay, we'll we'll sort of make this thing and see if it fits the data. And just Talk seeing okay, about, like th- this is this is so obviously clearly going in the direction that that the school it is with a you know a couple hundred year gap. It's a continuation of that really good principled thinking that it's that, it hasn't, that hasn't it's it's shocking to me that it hasn't gained more traction. Well, look at uh, what people don't like reason anymore. Um, we become an anti-reason age, which is crazy to think about. But look, like, look at Frederick Bastiat. He was a he was a Catholic thinker who was mm-hmm. a big fan of Thomas Aquinas, and his work was basically a proto-Austrian work. He sadly died before he finished writing his um, first treatise on economics. But you read it, and it's like this reads like human accent. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's proto-Austrian, um, and it's, it's, it's uh, the Aristotelian Austrian. Why do all the best schools start with A? Austrian economics, Aristotelianism. Was it three A's of philosophy? It was uh, Ayn Rand, Aristotle, and Aquinas. Just replace Ayn Rand with Austrian school. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Austrian. <laughs> That's another one. Uh, do you want to take that one on cast to tweet out? Do you mind if I tweet that one out? Actually, go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna tweet that it was out. Pretty good. The three philosophers we're reading: Aristotle, Aquinas, and all the Austrians. <laughs> yes. All the every single one, no exceptions. <laughs> Even Oscar Morgenstern, you're not allowed to skip him. <laughs> <laughs> Which means you're going to read a very boring book on game theory. Welcome to the club. <laughs> um, but on, a, on that point about um, um, on modern econ being this math and stuff, Thomas De Lorenzo has this great uh, story. He was sitting like a, a, a bunch of teachers were all giving lectures to the students. He had to sit there and watch other people give lectures. And this guy got up and did a had a he had a four minute represent the meat market. And the students stood up and said, Um, so I, I worked at the meat market. This, <laughs> this doesn't represent reality. And the guy literally said, I don't I don't care about reality, I care about my formula. <laughs> and that doesn't sum up modern academics. I mean 
Those wow. are the dreaded words, too, when someone says, excuse me, I've worked in that sector. <laughs> <laughs> that, that really is like, oh, damn it, God, no, please. It really shows that the, the empiricists don't actually care about empirical evidence. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I actually think Hoppe's, well, I think Hoppe's right about a lot of stuff, but he's especially yeah. right about the positivist uh, yeah. sort of taking over. Well, all the Austrians are right, but I think Hoppe puts explains it better than most others where it's mm-hmm. it's sort of taken over uh, the at least thinking about scientists because even someone like Henry Veach who is an excellent ethicist I'd say I love his, his book a rational man uh, and his uh, his more academic work for an ontology for an, a new ontology of morals is also excellent and he takes account of every single modern development from the existentialist to the utilitarian what that, what to the uh, for uh, for an ontology of morals, actually, a very hard to get. It's somewhat expensive. I don't think there's new prints. I had to buy it off to like someone who had it a long time ago. Uh, but it's very very good. And when he talks about, he was actually friends with Murray Rothbard too, personally. But when he talks about economics in his other book, uh, Human Rights Factor Fancy, he sort of just says it's completely empirical. You, you know. It's like, no, 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 morality is a priori, and we can sort of, with these principles, deduce things from them. But science, no, no, it's completely empirical, and this is, you know, so we can't know for certain that anarchism will work out. He's read Hayek, he's read Rothbard, he knows the basic arguments for it, but he essentially completely rejects the uh, the a priorism of Austrian economics when you apply it to a somewhat, to a science of, I guess, action in a material world where it isn't morality there's sort of this divide that i think a lot of very good philosophers and very good thinkers just sort of have in their mind where it was like no no no, this can't be a priori this is they see the need for methodological dualism between science between uh, different fields the thing is the austrians include economics in the a priori instead of the a posteriori camp what's the one thing i love about um i mean i'm reading a mises book socialism Mm-hmm. And I like that he doesn't call it like a philosophical inquiry or an economic inquiry. He just calls it scientific inquiry. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's considering what he's doing, science. Yeah. At the time, and in a sense, it is a true sense of science. It is, you lay it out, you investigate, you go from there. Um, and it's fun to read someone who actually like has a view of science is not this modern empiricist nonsense. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to hate science, and I, I don't. I hate that I hate science. <laughs> I, I, I hate most scientists. It's just I talk to people. I'm like, yeah. just put the fuck up, please. You know, every <laughs> week or so, of... I see at least one take from someone I quite like saying, you know, maybe Pol Pot was right about about the intellectuals. <laughs> maybe maybe he had a point there. It's I've, so, and and I'll I'll admit my biases. I have a, a pretty significant science background, mm-hmm. and I mean, agree completely with what you're saying. But it drives me crazy because I think this is something that, uh, at least in in sort of my thinking about it, things are sort of gone wrong, which I, I suspect in the in the coming weeks and months we'll probably get into in some depth. Mm-hmm. But it really is this this failure to to properly understand science because. Science works. Science is doing yes. great things. Scientific minds are doing great things. We're you know talking this podcast right now because someone, mm-hmm. in a, probably in a confused way, but in using their formulas, understood something about how electricity works, how light works, all these sorts of things, but that they've completely lost any understanding of of the ground reality that that creates that, that makes these things true. Mm-hmm. Is they write down a formula, say the formula checks out, it works, so the formula is what reality is. 
And it just, it drives me absolutely crazy because you have this, this beautiful thing, this amazing um, accomplishment, especially the last several hundred years of this, this scientific revolution and all the incredible things that have come from it. And just the inability to, to, you know, Caleb called it nonsense and that's exactly what it is. It's, it's completely separated from sense reality. And I think it's been to the detriment of, of science and of culture uh, overall. Oh yes, very, very much so. It's just, it's a very unfortunate thing because science really is, you know, it's one of the greatest achievements of mankind to be able to reason and to implement that reason in technical aspects of their life, to make their life better and to better cohabit and coexist with their fellow man. It's something incredible. And to the point where we're like, nah, I hate scientists. All my homies hate scientists. <laughs> it's, like, it's very sad. I so I spent a week. Um, I, I've been reading uh, *Suicide West* by Burnham, and I'm like, I I, I kind of get, I get the liberal syndrome, the liberal framework, and I'm like, I'm gonna go back and watch the normies. You know, I'm gonna watch <laughs> Lex Friedman, Brett Weinstein, Eric Weinstein, uh -huh. Sam Harris. I'm gonna watch Jordan Peterson, Ben Spiller. I spent a week watching the the normies again. Everyone who exists, the radicals in the liberal framework. <laughs> yeah, the um, radicals, quote unquote. Dude, I was, I'm reading Carlisle, and I'm like, you think, you think, you think Sapiro's a radical? Jesus, you yeah, don't know no. anything. I remember reading Robert Filmer while I was still li mostly listening to Normie podcasts. That was a very interesting experience. <laughs> I bet. Oh, and it's like, one of the things, Eric Weinstein was on a podcast, and Eric Weinstein to me is a modern day Pythagoras. That's good and bad. Um, <laughs> it's like upsides and downsides of that. Um, and his entire thing is like, it's time to leave the planet. It's time to leave. We got to go to a new planet. We've won our course here. We can't grow anymore. We got to leave. And it's like, do you know why we went our course? What's the problem? What, what's, what's, what's causing all these problems? They need to leave. I don't know. Well, we got to leave. It's like, so you want to go somewhere new and just start over until we get right back to where we want a couple of thousand years and then do it again. <laughs> just keep moving planets, never changing anything. And that's your solution. The liberal framework is the good is the only framework that can work. We just gotta try to get somewhere else. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about, man? You actually wanna you don't want to fix it, you still try again somewhere new without changing anything. That's just that's nonsense. That was Brett Weinstein, you said? Who was that? Uh, Eric. Eric Weinstein. Eric. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Eric. No, yeah, Brett, Brett's actually put it's evolutionary biology stuff is actually pretty interesting. Yeah, no, um, I quite like when he's talking about biology, I'll be completely honest. He's actually yeah. very interesting. He and his wife are both very oh, yeah. interesting. I'm gonna get their book, um, the Hunter Gavin's Guide to the 21st Century or something. It's gonna be a fun read. That's one thing I, I guess actually what reason I became like started going down the Catholic route is I, I listened to him and I'm like, okay, evolutionary evolution biology is real evolution must exist and it, it makes no sense for it not to exist mm -hmm. and then i was told like we can't be a christian believe in evolution i'm like well that seems stupid and wrong i mean look yeah, like, oh mm. catholics can do it so i kind of found that whole so catholics have a um <laughs> so I, I believe in nice construction evolution which is compatible with catholicism um and that's where i'm like oh so what else catholics got right oh well, who's this guy aquinas and it's like oh it's, it's just down here from there we're just following the road to you know well yeah, and rehashing sort of the same point, like a point, the, the reason that's, that the Catholic faith sort of allows these things is that it's okay, well, well we're going to, we're going to start with reason, you know, there is needs to be a leap of faith, but it needs to be, you know, we're jumping from somewhere, right? We need, we need, so, so any kind of new understanding or any new good science, you know, an actual, like, you know, not just, you know, an equationally based science, but a real understanding of the world, the more you know about the world, the more that you can know when you, when you um, start having divine faith in things. And the the absence of that, and you know, again, love, love to all of our all of our Protestant friends. They're uh, <laughs> wonderful people, but just well, that people. 
Yeah, no, <laughs> good I, I, people I, on both sides. Uh, <laughs> I, I like Protestants more than I like Catholics for the most part. I just like Catholicism more than I like Protestantism. Um, <laughs> but just that 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 absence or that that the idea that the faith comes before the reason, as I think, just mm-hmm. leaves this this. Yeah, again, you end up trying you end up trying to defend positions that are that are um, quite explicitly indefensible from the from the standpoint of reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much as I ad- admire uh, uh, Augustine and love him very, very dearly, the, the doctrine of faith-seeking understanding does leave a bit to be desired, which I think is, you know, Aquinas sort of corrected that as, as far as I care. Yeah. Now, I, I have been talking to some Protestants recently who say reason is bad. We said the faith <laughs> of a child, and we said with Zek reason. That is yeah. one hell of an opening statement. What's well, your... I asked him, what's, what's your reason right. for believing that? Exactly. So, yeah, so what, what's, your, what's your logic behind thinking that we shouldn't use logic? I'm curious. Like it's, exactly. it's so obviously, and, and it just, it leads to this, this, and I think Caleb, I think you and I talked about this previously, but if you take it to its lo- logical extreme, you just, you, you can't get away from some kind of solipsism or this just complete irrationality. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you, you have to end up denying the, the, you know, the world in, directly in front of you. Because, okay, well, the only reason I think I know that there's, you know, a table in front of me or a computer in front of me is because I'm using my senses and using my reason. Well, okay, I need to reject those in favor of this faith that comes from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, the exact argument has been rehashed since at least Epictetus, the Stoic Greek philosopher, because he had one of his students, this is uh, in the Enchiridion, ask him, you know, what's the use of reasoning? How, can, how is reasoning good? And so he said to his student, okay, try to prove reasoning is bad. <laughs> and he, he, he say that you're going to end up, if you can't even prove reasoning is bad without using reasoning, then you've proven that at least reasoning is useful for one thing, which is proving <laughs> reasoning is bad. Let's apply that to everything else you need to think about now, essentially. Yes. I, 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 there are very few, um, when I'm talking to somebody, I have like a, a list of things. They say one thing on the list. I've been talking to them. Now, if it's, a, if it's, a, we live in a simulation. I'm out. If they keep asking, well, how do you know that? I'm out. <laughs> uh, they uh, would say philosophy and reason is dumb. I'm out. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, uh, oh, the moon is a hologram. Right there. That, that one I'm at. I, I, I had a co-worker who were, were walking in the woods, and he went, Caleb, you want to hear 100% true fact? I'm like, so, Timmy, what you got? He goes, the moon? It's a holographic. <laughs> You mean a hologram, Timmy? Yeah, yeah, that one. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. You can't pay me enough to do this, boss. So, in, in defense of in defense of Timmy, of the of the statements you gave just now, that is by far the most reasonable. That is that is <laughs> okay, like, that one is a hypothesis. It can be tested. There, you know, there can be reasons for and against. But philosophy yeah. and reason sucks. It's kind of like okay. Yeah, I guess no, whatever. Okay, okay. Take what you think, man. I don't want to talk. You mentioned the simulation theory stuff, and and. Uh, look up like you were saying like these arguments go back so far but like this it's mm-hmm. we've sort of put this nice new veneer on on Descartes <laughs> yeah. confusion and yeah, like oh yeah I, I don't like I don't, I don't know things like I think we we kind of settled this a while ago why are we pretending that this is still because because again the arguments against these insane points are just so clear and obvious and and it takes you know 10 seconds of thought like okay well you know what what reason do you have for not using reason the yeah, fact that the, the fact that that idea can can exist for any longer than the ten seconds it takes to think about it is is shocking to me that it's that they persist and reinvent themselves for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
It's, it, I almost admire the tenacity of, of the arguments. <laughs> they, they really persevere through a lot. No, my, my hope, I, I, the reason I hate the um, simulation one so much, I think, is that simulations have code, they have laws, and it's like, so, like my observation on reality around us is based on, I say, laws of physics or laws of reality or natural law. Okay, now it's based on code. What I'm saying is still based on what I'm seeing around me. So my what I'm saying is true for the reality we are in. That does not. I don't get it. It's, like it's, it's, anything. it's it's even deeper than that though, because because like we we're talking about with the sort of equational nature of of modern science. Okay, you write down an equation and you think that's reality. Code isn't a thing. Code is a series of symbols that I that I understand represents something. Yeah. Physical laws exist. Physical laws do things. Gravity works. It's not, you know, this. you don't have a, a differential equation that dictates where the thing is at some particular time. Gravity just happens and we describe it, right? Mm -hmm. Code can't be reality. Code can only describe reality. Code can be a symbolic thing that my mind can kind of comprehend. That it's, it's so confused about what even, I mean, it's, at heart, you, if you're saying things like this, you don't understand what that existence is. Yeah, no. I and mean, it's just, it's a fundamental error. Go ahead. The, the basic argument, I think, is a language can only develop if we can refer to things outside of ourselves. And coding is a language. In fact, we call different styles of coding different languages. I don't know if st style is not the right word, but my vocabulary is very short today. Uh, different, yeah, different styles of code are different languages. They need to have something to refer to to even communicate anything meaningful. They cannot be ultimate react a system of symbols which refers something to something which does not exist, not even in the imagination of anyone, cannot be ultimate reality. Y'all I'm having a blast. This is great. <laughs> so <laughs> getting us back, getting us back a little bit on track, because I'm curious about this, Caleb. I know you said you're probably the among us the, the sort of newest of Catholicism. And I know nice uh, yeah, so in the last month or so, you got to go to your first traditional mass. I want to hear yep. about that experience, what you thought of that. Cause, cause um, unfortunately there's not one offered anywhere close to me or that's the only thing I would ever attend. Cause it's, I, I have such a respect for it, but I'm really curious what you, as a, as getting to do it, this just this first time, what your impressions were and how you enjoyed it with me so, biasing your, you know, telling you that you need to like it or I'm going to be upset, but go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> let me, uh, let me say a screen real quick. Cause I want to show you where I went for this mm. first mass. Cause it was, um, let me get it up here. Uh, Saint, Saint Suzanne. I was on vacation in Chicago, which is why I had to go to find through some Latin mass because it's not near my area either. Um, where's the images? So I went, I went here. Um, that's not the right screen. That's the right screen. Wow. Can I make that bigger? Nope. Okay, I went there. Wow. My first. So I went to the this mega cathedral for uh, my first mass. Oh, that's. And it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, as you can see, beautiful mm -hmm. building. I mean, just mm -hmm. there was so much. Just like looking at it was beautiful. I mean, there was um the floorboard, different type of wood. This all of it. But there was a um. So I had two masses that day. I went to twice. The first one, the traditional Latin mass, was the incense, and he faced east. There was no light, no electricity, and no no mic. I could barely hear what he was saying. Um, <laughs> And I was also the first time I received on the, the Eucharist on the tongue instead of just um, in the hand, uh, yeah, in the hand, which was a lot. This is a it was a lot new. It was like a, there was a, there were Gregorian chants in the background, like a, a choir of dudes singing in Gregorian chants. It was just a what's in those. Um, I love the Latin Mass. I I I it was 
one of the coolest things I've done in the last two years, probably. Never was how it's done in art history, and it was just the way it was for a long time. Is a really interesting experience. Kind of like, oh, this is how people hidden in caves when they were finally persecuted were talking about things. You know, it's great. And the senses, like from sight to sound to smell, mm-hmm. everything they they played into every sense to amplify the beauty of what you were doing. And it was a, in the purest sense, it was a religious experience because it was like every sense had something going off. And I was just, I can't describe it. It was a perfect, wonderful experience. It's very Glad. good to hear. Yeah, because I, I know one of the things that, that drives me crazy here, and I, I suspect you sort of see similar things, Caleb, is in this very Protestant areas, is there's this sort of, I mean, like we've been talking about sort of a rejection of the senses, but, and, you and I, we still we were going to do a podcast on beauty at some point. That needs to happen. Yeah, in the future. We, I, I'm still trying to get through the book. I am a I am a ridiculously slow reader. I'm trying to get through Saint John of Damascus, and I'm trying to get through uh, Sex with a Zombie. What's the sweet one? Yeah, our book club. <laughs> well, you, you've got the, it's not that you're a slow reader. It's the fact you've got like a dozen books. That you're yeah, reading at the same you're time. Reading I'm like twenty two. I'm up to twenty two books right now. Damn. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the the. And a lot of the Protestant churches around where I am, and, and they, for whatever reason, the Catholics here have adopted it as well to some extent. But there's it's this a lot more plain, bland. I know the, the church that I grew up in, well, the Catholic church, but the sort of idea was okay, you know, we'll use this as a rec room on weekdays kind of thing. So there, there's very little religious iconography, and then you know, it's, it's just you lose so much of that. And you showing that the image of the interior of that of that church in, in Chicago just. I, it's so it seems so obvious to me that when you walk into a church, you should be awestruck every time, or that should at least be the goal. And yeah, that, that, that there's said, been a rejection. Go ahead. Augustine said that uh, the church is heaven on us, and that when you choose to try to personify what heaven would be like in the church, and it's like mm-hmm. the, when you you see that it's like that beauty. Like, like, this is the closest we can get. And the idea that like, beauty is bad because beauty is like when you build something, you're worshiping yourself and your own creation, not building it into God. It's just nonsensical. I am building this unto God as an act of worship. I'm not building this to glorify my own self. As some part of it say, when you look at iconography of buildings, it's, 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 it's so outlandishly stupid. But like, like you said, you walked in, you had, a, it, was, it was a religious experience. I mean, it's, it's the mass. It should be a religious experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, the, but that's, that, that, the fact that that's not the norm at the, yeah. those Catholic yeah. masses, at least in the, in the U.S., just, uh, it's, it seems so clearly in error to me. Yeah. Um, the fact- the go fact ahead. that you can that uh, it's a religious experience doesn't go without saying, essentially. Yes. You have yes. to say it to, to yeah. let others know. It's not just, I went to Mass, and implicitly there is, and I had a wonderful religious experience. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, um, I went my, my, uh, after I became Catholic, I started going to my parents' church. Um, and my mom wanted me to go back to her service for Mother's Day, so I went back to that church for Mother's Day after not going for like six months. And I walked in there, and I'm like, there's not one cross. There's not one. I can. There's not. I, there's nothing. There's. N- I. You could not tell it was a church. There was zero way to wow. tell it was a church. And like the only way that I asked someone, like, "What does the Bible want to say?" I'm like, "Well, I see an iPad." It's like, well, we, we we put one in a box and buried it underneath the pulpit. It's like, so you buried it. You took one religious icon and buried it, and you put an iPad up there. Where's the tabernacle? Oh, you moved the, ta- the table tabernacle out of the way. Once you put it in the center, oh, you put the guy. You put a guy in the center instead of Christ. Okay, I don't want to come back. <laughs> I was mad. I was like, I was like, I was angry. Like I came here for how many years? I never even saw. Huh? I wonder if there's a cross in this building. <laughs> it... oh. Wow. I don't think. Actually, I think I might be the most uh, parochial out of everyone because 
I'm not even sure I visited a non-Catholic church in my entire. I visited wow. a lot of churches, but uh, for uh, relatively obvious family reasons, we never. I, let's uh, let's just say this: but you from the outside, evangelical churches, at least here, look they look like a, like a place of business essentially. <laughs> <laughs> they look like. Uh, <laughs> They look like traitors in a temple. Uh, I'll put it like that. And uh, my, I just, my... there's, there's no reason, like, you know, if I saw a very beautiful church, I wouldn't care. But if I, if I went to Russia, I would love to visit, uh, you know, many, many Eastern Orthodox churches. They, they look amazing. Uh, I just haven't had the opportunity. But whenever I go to Europe, I go to old Catholic churches. Whenever I go to Italy or France or Portugal, uh, in Brazil, I've only been all the weddings I've been to are in Catholic churches. Whenever I go to church, it is a Catholic church. So I'm actually the most parochial out of everyone. This is very shocking to me. <laughs> Dude, my um, my dad jokingly said, um, I said, I want you guys to come with me to church on Christmas for like, for Christ Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, my dad jokingly said, I'm not going to go to no Antichrist church. I'm like, I said, your lobby has a Starbucks in it. <laughs> <laughs> This you literally have the antichrist soft drink in your lobby. What are you talking about here? Yeah, that's all very weird to me. Actually, no, sorry. I have been to one Anglican church in my okay. entire life. So your most part is... of the church is Anglican. That's not... yeah, because of the school. Uh, because of uh, near the school I went to, there was like I think the one Anglican church I know of in Rio. So I, I went there. Uh, like a few times and it was a, a, a relatively pretty church it was uh right next to school grounds so it was you know very okay very nice uh i had the list of everyone who donated to get it built uh it was but it was very simple uh it was very big though so it had some majesty to it and it was built in a more traditional style it's cool kale i'm curious do you, do you have mega churches around where you are do you like the the, the stadium stuff my okay. church was I, my, my church is the biggest church in the uh, county, and it's a uh, Pentecostal mega church with people who run around flapping their arms trying to take off like Super Mario. <laughs> Did they do like the rock concerts or like the the electric guitar? Oh my goodness! Uh, once, once, and I will say when we there's an electric guitar, the path that got up on stage, everyone goes, "We won't be doing that again." This is a place of worship. I'm like, okay, I like, I actually love the pastor, but he was tired and his son took over. And that's actually why I left. Is it was uh, his son gave a, a sermon right after uh, Trump lost, and it was all on Romans thirteen. And I was in my I just read Zachary Love Christian Anarchy, so I was like my peak Christian Anarchist phase. And I, I walked out. I walked out mid service, got on my phone, wow. typed in Catholic Church near Barta, where I live. And I, honestly, the, the newest church here, five minutes from where I live, St. Thomas Aquinas' Catholic Church. So it was like this is this is a sign. I got to go here. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I want one more topic I want to get into before we um, wrap up. I want—I'm mm-hmm. not sure how long to go for. I want to read this real quick. Well, I understand. I uh, well, I understand. I've been to many synagogues due to my family, but I also have been to many Catholic churches and several mosques and several Christian temples, but never a non-Catholic Christian temple. We got some cool people. We got. Some, I actually don't recognize anybody in this chat tonight. This is kind of <laughs> interesting. Who brought them? One. Love it. We're uh, we're trying to do a crowd, and that, that's one thing I will say for the for the Orthodox religions. And again, I'm I'm certainly no scholar of them, but they still have an appreciation for beauty, from what I can see. As yes. you see any kind of the services, and it it's it's it looks like a religious. It looks like you're going to a religious service. It looks like there is there is a a deep respect for for the body and for the senses and for what they're doing there. Um, 
And I, you, Caleb, you're talking about sort of the, the, the sort of exotic attraction of, of orthodoxy. And I think that's a, a big part of it is that it's, it does speak to what the Catholic Church should be trying to promote as much as possible, but that there is, there is a, a physical beauty um, and, and, a, and a realizable and understandable beauty in the, in the Mass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a huge fan, my last topic, of uh, Zach Ulel. Sorry, that's the wrong guy. I'm a fan, but Zach Maritain. I get my friends guys confused sometimes. Um, Zach Maritain was a 19th century, um, mm-hmm. not 19th, sorry, 20th century French yeah. uh, philosopher, um, and he's not he's not loved by a lot of Catholics because he, he um, for he, he changed his view I think before he died, but for a long time he didn't believe in hell, hmm. and so he wasn't a very uh, he wasn't a theologian. He was a philosopher, and that is that's the biggest problem with him. Um, but when someone was describing him on a podcast recently, they described him as a paleotomist. What mm. I don't, I saw, I, I looked it up. I could not find anything on that term, paleotomism. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, so this is a new thing that we're going to call ourselves that no one has called before. And then he called this guy that. So I'm like, okay, what's we're in some weird company now. We're in with some Zach, we're with some, some Zach mm-hmm. Maritain company. Has anyone here read any of Zach Maritain or know anything about him? I did not know anything about him before uh, you mentioned him and talked about him on Twitter. I has, I have got uh, free approaches to God. I still have to make my way through it. Uh, but what I read about him so far, I've quite li- I've liked very very much. Yeah, and I, he's another person that I heard a lot about and a lot of respect for. Just sort of seeing people that had condensed his thought and have read a little bit of him. I'm curious, Gabe. Is there like a I don't know how much you've gone through of his so far, but is there is there a good place to start if someone wants to really dive into Maritain? So I would say his best book is Degrees of Knowledge, which is just a pure book on epistemology. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's dense. Like, you know, two pages. There's a, a part of the book which is a page and a half of one site. <laughs> like, he's, just, he's very, he's very like, very big on citing. Uh, a much easier book to read is uh, Tree Reformers. Uh, he goes through Luther, Descartes, and Rousseau, a religious reformer, a philosophical reformer, and a political reformer, and how they've all led into each other. It's a lot easier of a read. Um, you make some cool claims. That thing's a, it's worth reading. Uh, oh, and the last one be, uh, art and oh, was it art and beauty or art and scholasticism? Basically, he wrote a scholastic breakdown of, 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 of art and objective beauty, which uh, is up up our alley for when we do uh, Saint John the Masters on divine images. But there's some. So he wrote like 87 books. You know. Wow, I did and not they, know that. that and they compiled his lectures. And they've compiled his lectures into other books. So he's had more books <laughs> since he died. So it's like, there's, there's a lot to, um, he did, he wrote about um, the specialization of academics and why it's going to lead to the destruction of everything. And why it's, <laughs> it's like, yay wrong! Yay yeah, wrong! a man after my own heart. Uh, <laughs> um, so okay, but last thing, if you, if, uh, if you could recommend a two books and a philosopher people to research, who would you say if people need to go read and the books they need to read? People listening to Catholic Catholics who want to kind of get into the let me clarify this one book for people who want to understand Catholicism and one book for people who want to understand your politics. What books would you pick? Hmm. Ooh, that's uh, who goes first? Actually, should I go first? Uh, please, please, Diggs. I'm gonna uh, think of yeah, this. I will also need to think. Uh, well, well, I have an answer. Well, well, I have my answer. So if you okay, again, okay, can you go for it? Yeah, you can. You be picking yeah, you know, my, <laughs> For my politics, I'm going to go with um, uh, the Church in the Market by Tom Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Catholicism, I'm going to say, um, uh, oh crap, what's it called? 
why what we believe by Trent Horn. He goes through every Catholic uh, belief in a, in a chapter, and he, and he goes through why they believe it and some defenses of it. And it was the book I said, I want to read this book, and if I don't agree with it, or I can find things I can disagree with, with legitimate disagreements, I will not become Catholic. He won me over on every single issue. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, went, I, I was reading the chapter on uh, contraception and um, covenant like, theology in the marriage, and I'm like, oh, I have zero arguments against this from any angle. I cannot make one argument against this. And so I had to, I, I was like, this is it. I got I to convert, I guess. It was just a matter of like actually, you know, leaving my church when I had Pastor Son make the uh, Roman 13 lecture. I was like, okay. Because I don't call him sermons. I call it, he's basically a lecture. Um, See, Kev, this is what happens when you start using reason. You're trying to find arguments to defeat him and it just leads you to Catholicism. This is, yeah. the Protestants were right. If you if you just abandoned reason like you were supposed to, you wouldn't have any problem with not being able to make arguments. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think I can go. Uh, well, yeah. I think it'd be sort of cheating to say the summa uh, for Catholicism. <laughs> so yeah. I will not do that, but I was tempted. Instead, I'll go with, uh, weirdly enough, Peter Geach's The Virtues, where he goes through – it's a series of lectures of his where he goes through the cardinal virtues of, I believe, uh, courage, wisdom, temperance, and I forget the other one. But most, most importantly, and he begins with the three theological virtues, which is – Hope, uh, charity, and is it, I believe it's love, or I may be wrong. I think no, hope, right, love, yes. and faith. Hope, love, and faith. Sorry, yep. or hope, charity. I think charity and love he uses in the charity's in there, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's very, he's sort of, it's a lot more complex than it seems at first because he makes also arguments for the plausibility of a belief in God, he doesn't make arguments for proof of God. But he, one of the more interesting arguments, for example, is imagine you're in a prison and uh, someone sends you a note saying you're un- unjustly uh, in prison. Someone sends you a note from the outside world saying, I can get you out. Now, you don't know who this person is, but it is rational to believe that there is someone on the outside working to release you from this prison. The obvious analogy to this is the divinely inspired word of God. The Bible. There is a plausible. It is not irrational to believe so. He doesn't attempt to provide any proof for God. But he essentially says that for any human end, the free theological virtues are necessary, as well as the cardinal virtues. Whatever like the end lot. of humans is, because uh, he sort of tries to prove that humans have an end, a natural end, because he is a, a sort of virtue ethicist and an Aristotelian. But he doesn't try to prove what end it is, because he says as long as it is an end, these virtues are necessary. And he sort of explains to them, and he sort of explains, for example, hope. Why, if a man does not place his hope in the communion of saints, if he places his hope in this world, he is lost. Essentially, that's one of the best chapters uh, of the book. So that's the book for, uh, I guess, Catholicism uh, that I'd recommend. Uh, For politics, um, yeah, I guess the most basic one in terms of, you know, how to analyze the world would be Democracy of a God that Failed. uh, But perhaps a better one in terms of how to intuitively analyze anything might be Michael Humer's The Problem of Political Authority, uh, which is a very intuitionist approach as to the problem of any type of political authority. Uh, But if you prefer an economic analysis instead of a a moral, intuitive one, then I would recommend Hoppe's Democracy. Very good list. Yeah, Democracy God that failed, because I... I'd say my my political views are sort of evolving at a at a faster rate than my than my Catholic ones, mm-hmm. probably with, with good reason. Um, <laughs> and I've been I've been going through a lot of Hopper recently, so Democracy God that failed is way up on my list as well. Mm-hmm. To try and give try and give a little more variety, I'm trying to see what what 
um, PDFs I've got open from, uh, yeah, from yeah. Mises.org right now. So like, what am I actually going through right now? Um, but something, but I'll, I'll, I don't know if this is necessarily the best one, but while we're on the subject of Hoffa, uh, uh, short history of man was one that I went through mm -hmm. recently. Excellent. And, and I thought that book. was, it was, and I've, I've, want to want to try and get to talk about it some more but there's a lot of good in there that i think sort of pointing back to the okay like let's let's try and build a, a rational reality based understanding of of the of the human condition as we as we see it at least economically um so i'll i'll, I'll sort of throw in that with with the general sort of hopper recommendation wouldn't call myself a hopian per se but there's there's so much good in what he does and i think um as a sort of natural with progression from von Mises to, you know, these every generation builds sort of condense it down better and better. So a lot of the the ideas that maybe aren't original to him, he he probably expresses in a in a cleaner, more readable form than than his predecessors mm -hmm. did. Um, on the Catholic end, for a single book, I'm not sure, but I, I would say in terms of his apologetics, uh, G.K. Chesterton is, is someone that I've really enjoyed, and I think is just um, so sort of the opposite of my normal of my normal approach of this sort of reason first, just getting that sense of joy and beauty and that sort of just nice argumentative um, approach. I think a lot of Chesterton's apologetics are just are fantastic for um, at least just getting yourself in the right mindset to appreciate the, the beauty of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now I, I started doing a Chesterton's uh, heretics, which is there's some lines in there that I read them. I'm like, Oh, that, that is, he, he goes through, he says so much in such a little amount of time. It feels like, but when you, you catch a line, he says, "You're like that is good." <laughs> he has a, he's a, he is he's great. One of my favorite apologists. Well, this has been an episode. It's been the first episode of Paleotomism. If you want to catch this episode at a later time, it will only be on my channel for a few more few days before it gets moved over to the Paleotomist YouTube channel, which can be found on the website at paleotomism.com. Link will be in the description, along with a link to the Twitter. Make sure you go and subscribe to Ironcast Substack. Make sure you follow all of us on Twitter. Guys, give me plugs real quick if you would. Oh, so I'll go ahead. Um, mm -hmm. At Einkath on Twitter and anarchocatholic.substack.com. Um, trying to post more regularly, especially as we get this website up and going. But a lot of what we've been talking about today and a lot of more sort of current event issues. So mm -hmm. um, everything sort of in that, in, in the in the vein of, of where our interests lie. Nice. All right. Uh, I don't really have a, a, a much of a plug. I have a Twitter account. It's called at available username of a username missing an E because apparently that one was taken, I think, when <laughs> I established it years ago. Uh, I don't really have a direction of my posting. I just sort of either comment or retweet things I find interesting. I might have a direction. It heads in soon or maybe not. I'll decide in the coming weeks. Sounds good. Well, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, everyone listening? Go read more books. Uh, join the Catholic Church. <laughs> Pretty much.